You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined by Sean and not Rick. Once again, he is feeling like he has no voice. We'll have to replace him with AI. We just put his voice into a synthesizer, and then AI Rick will join us. Yeah, maybe he always was AI. <laughs> yeah, I've actually never like touched him, like seen him in the flesh. So Yeah, I have touched him. Yeah, but you could be in the Matrix. How do you know what is real? That's true. <laughs> there is no spoon. <laughs> so anyway, we uh, we had a couple of things. Well, one thing we really wanted to talk about, but then, you know, which is the subject of this uh, podcast. But in general, for those that regularly listen to us, we, we've been doing news and we decided that we're just going to take the news out. And the reason for that is because, number one, all of our podcasts are, I mean, the, the actual topic, they're quite timeless overall. I mean, you know, very, I mean, there are things that change, but much of our podcast content is like fine you know, wine. just... Yeah, it's like a fine wine. It ages really well. However, news doesn't age well, does it? No. So what we're going to do is we're going to stick it at the back. So if you're interested in that, then you can continue to listen and it'll be at the very end of the podcast. Yeah. In regard to the subject of this podcast, we received a really interesting outreach from a guy named Kevin. The message says, hi, I recently came across your podcast. I'll I'll summarize. Um, He said, a well-established German company hired me for two projects. They won multiple licenses, which it sounds like intellectual properties that are, you know, valuable. And they want to launch their first two board games through Kickstarter. I'm a seasoned digital marketer, but my previous Kickstarter experiences were in a very different product field. He went through our product, uh, you know, our Kickstarter calculator, and he said it was very uh, helpful, but he had additional questions. Links in the Um, show notes. Yes. So if you want that Kickstarter success calculator, it's a really useful tool that has all of our best uh, or all of our knowledge in it. Uh, So he said that his clients, number one, his clients have a number in mind they can raise through Kickstarter for each game. They they said that the number that they can raise is 400,000 euros per game. That's the number that they, they believe they can raise. Then he goes into some averages, some assumptions that he's making. Assuming the average backer gives 50 euros per pledge, That means they need 8,000 backers for each of those games because 50 euros times 8,000 backers is 400,000 euros, and that's what their goal was. Then he references in a podcast episode, we mentioned a conversion rate of 5%, which is he's talking about an email conversion rate. So we need at least 160,000 people in our subscriber list. And you guys can probably tell that some of these numbers, they are off a little bit, but his assumptions are basically that his conversion rate of 5% means that, you know, and the, the only people that will back are on the email list. And if that was true, then you would need 160,000 people in your email list to, um, to fund a 4,000, 400,000 euro game at 8,000 backers, so on and so forth. Now he goes on a little bit further. He says, uh, his reference for newsletter signups is about only two and a half percent. So two and a half percent of people going to the landing page, sign up for emails. He said we need 6.4 million visits to the landing page to get the right number of people in the subscriber list. And then he goes further. He says, considering that I get maybe 2% click-through rate through Facebook ads, which is actually a good number, uh, we'd have to get 320 million views. So basically the population of the United States would each have have to view once in order to get the uh, 400,000 euro campaign. And these are, you know, he says, you can see my head's kind of spinning. Please fact check me. 
and he he's asking about our experience and he said that you know they have the resources but it still seems absolutely wild and so hopefully i summed it well but there are there are a couple of assumptions a couple of uh you know improvements that we can make here and i went through and i just responded a gigantic wall of text and i thought that that was worthwhile to to bring up because we're talking about firsthand experience of what we hope happens right i mean isn't that what Kickstarter is? It's really all about like, I, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to manage every single element that I possibly can. And then when I hit the launch button, all I have is hope. I'm not sure how well my list will convert. I don't have any, you know, guarantee on, on what's going to happen, but I, you know, you do want to go through these exercises of estimating what will happen. And I think that it was a really good exercise. And so I went and responded and I figured we would, uh, um, discuss that, but you know, Sean is—he just saw this question. I didn't—I didn't give him. I w- he wasn't privy to my response until right before this podcast, and so I thought before we dive in, uh, what what are your initial impressions, Sean, about what I read or about his outreach? So I think when looking over this, there's—I think he's using some benchmarks which are lower than what we would expect or what we would seek to achieve. So an example is that. So he says his average pledge value is $55, which is very low. It's about half of what we would expect. We, we expect the average pledge value to be around $109, $110. In fact, I recently just come, we would cover this in another podcast, but I recently just looked or reviewed the top 12 most funded gaming projects on Kickstarter of all time. Their average pledge value is $190. If we take out one uh, gaming table, big, on, yeah, which, gaming which kind table. of, excuse the, the number for most gaming projects the average pledge value is 190 dollars. so that shows you people on kickstarter if they are excited about the project are willing to spend on average 190 dollars on gaming projects so that's a significant number to keep in mind so 50 55 is very low and there are ways that you can increase this so that's i think that's a, a fatal like a flawed assumption i think many people think of kickstarter as oh i need you know 10,000 backers to make this successful well actually a good example we we currently run two campaigns at the, at the moment both are funded doing doing well really happy for both of our clients but one campaign has raised 50,000 just over $50,000 the other one has raised 50 $58,000 the one that has raised $58,000 has 600 backers. The one that has raid, raised only 50000 which is lower than the 58, has doubled the amount of backers. It has 1,200 backers. So it has doubled the backers and a lower amount raised. Whilst, And they're both board games. And the other one has half the amount of backers and more money raised. And that's an example of, of increasing the average pledge value of your campaign and not overlooking that. It's not not all about getting as so as many people to back your game as possible. Another thing to think about is optimizing the people you've actually backed is, is trying to encourage them to increase their pledges and to increase their average order value. And this is why you need these sort of premium pledges and you need people to be excited generally about, about your product. Yeah, that's uh that's absolutely true. I think that the, uh, the $50 or well, 50 euro pledge uh, value was, the first thing that stuck out to me. And, you know, this kind of reminds me of something that uh, we may have gone over in the past, but uh, one time I was uh, presented with an interesting question by a guy that uh, he was, he was running an exercise of how do you increase the bottom line? 
in your company. And there are actually five levers. And I, I believe we must have talked about this in, in a podcast before, but you know, you've got the number of customers that find you, the uh, likelihood that a customer buys from you, or maybe the number of transactions that they make. You've got, you know, of course, your conversion rate of, of customer coming in the door to somebody buying something. You've got the margin on your items. So if you can print, let's say, a higher number of units, then you your cost per unit goes down. And so, you know, a lot of different options to increase your numbers. And you don't need to, you don't need to be like, oh, well, let's just charge $190 so that we can be, you know, you know, let's find ways to increase our add-ons like to crazy high, but, you know, increasing a little bit. So one thing, you know, for us, we're not the ones running the huge, huge camp. Well, not yet, at least. Hopefully one of you people listening really, really wants us to run a $15 million campaign for you. I would love to do that, but we haven't done something like that yet. And so our average pledge value, I feel is representative of the games first category. Time, and first time creators. Yeah. So we're actually skewed toward uh, probably lower numbers because we're, we're, we work with a lot of first time creators. Uh, of course we work, you know, we do big projects too, but the first time creators are the people that we work with most. And so our number is like 85, between 85 and $90 is our average pledge over at least the last time I want to say we looked over uh, over all the campaigns we've ever done when we averaged them all together. Actually, Sean, you averaged them all together, so you would probably know yeah, it's, it's what a, that number it's, is. It's 109. It used to be oh, 110, and it went down. Oh. <laughs> that's wow. So that's actually quite high. So that was even mm -hmm. higher than the number that I gave. Um, I, I estimated that our average was like 85 to 90 or something, but that's uh, but yeah, that's that's actually even more favorable. And so the first thing that I said was, okay, if, if your main game is 50 euros, find a way to up the average pledge value. The way that you do that, really two ways. Number one, deluxe edition of the, of the project or a premium edition. And then number two is add our add-ons. You know, uh, with mm -hmm. Deliverance, we had our base game, but we had a neoprene mat, we had metal coins, and we had acrylic glass standees. And, and now actually one of, yeah, t seriously, t-shirts. Don't get me started on that one. That one's a tough one. If you want to, if you want to bite into the t-shirts, it's, it's, we could probably lot. do a podcast just on t-shirts. Oh yeah, we definitely could. So, and then we did dice. So our, our average was, um, a hundred and, uh, 119 for, for deliverance. The average pledge value is like 119 or 117 by the end. I think that's the first place. And I actually said, Hey, you know, let's use an average pledge value of $85 instead of using a 50 or a 50 euro I'm just working in dollars because I'm over here on the other side of the pond and you know in the US and um so you know the that was that's one thing another is $400,000 is the internal goal but what the actual you know the actual funding goal is is not going to be 400,000 uh, there are many people that come to us and say look I want to raise $100,000 minimum but we're never going to recommend that you put your your pledge, uh, your funding goal at a hundred thousand, not unless you are a big company that can just blast past that on the first day, because, you know, if you're, uh, if you have a $150,000 funding goal and it's your very first project and you don't have a huge following or buy-in, then, uh, likely you're going to meet a very disappointing, sad end. Right. So I would say the, the funding goal I said, let's say $30,000 is the funding goal, because if the average pledge is, well, we'll say the reason that I put that funding goal 
It's really because I, as a marketer, I kind of want you to have between 300 and 400, 300 to 400 backers required to meet your funding goal. That usually means that the minimum print run is possible and that kind of thing. Some other, you know, some games like Deliverance, I needed 1500 units, I believe was the minimum. I think they would do a thousand for me at Longpack. But um, so my funding goal was uh, a little higher, but, you know, I see people with 500, 700, 800, a thousand, you know, they have a $20 product and they're, they need a thousand people, you know, to make their whatever $20,000 funding goal happen. That's not a, those aren't great odds unless you have a lot of people that you've have used you before. So I generally say, okay, 353 with an average pledge of $85 and $30,000 funding goal, you need 353 backers to fund. I'm just, I'm just spitballing numbers here. So that means that if you were to just only use your email list, um, we can talk about the numbers of why this is. If the only people that would back were from your email list that you created specifically for this project, you would need 3,530 people to actually fund on the first day. Um, it's, it's likely not, you're not going to need that many because of other factors, but those are some of the numbers that I put together and, you know, some of the assumptions that I'm making. Um, There are X factors, like you could be Kickstarter uh, on Kickstarter, you could trend, or you could be a project we love. You could, you'll bring in percentage wise, more backers. There are a lot of ways that you're going to raise uh, backers that are outside of that email list. Uh, Kickstarter itself, GameFound also is growing in traffic. So you're going to get organic traffic. You're going to get your people that back the project that are excited, that want to talk about your game in social communities. You'll probably get backers from Facebook that you have no idea where they came from, backers that searched, backers that Googled it after they heard about you. And those people aren't going to be credited to your email list. They may be credited to Kickstarter. They may be credited to external websites, but in general, you know, we, we estimated actually way back in episode one of our podcast, we did this big estimation that kind of resulted in really between 20 and 40% of the total pledges you get are going to be as a result of just organic traffic. And that's, so that's something that I saw as like a big, uh, we'll say an error in the assumption was that you have to bring everyone yourself. You do mm-hmm. have to bring a crowd, but you also need to rely on organic uh, traffic of from places like Kickstarter, buzz from your audience, posting it, play, you know, in Facebook groups and Discord communities, talking about it in person and that sort of thing. And just to emphasize this, you need a crowd to crowdfund. Don't take our word from it. This is Everett Taylor, the CEO of Kickstarter. And I'm going to quote not from an article that he did an interview in. So it says, you know, if you don't have the audience yourself, and you want to reach new people and be successful on the platform, it takes digital marketing. And the second thing is cultivating an audience beforehand. I tell people all the time, some people think you go to Kickstarter and then throw it up there and then, you know, magically make some money. No, you got to push your audience there. You have to cultivate an audience around your product, your company, your service, even if it's your friends, your family, your 30 cousins, like whoever it is. You have to cultivate your own audience and have them ready to go and ready to support at the beginning. So I'll include a link in the show notes to an article we wrote of the seven critical mistakes people often make. This is the big one. And this is from the horse's mouth, so to speak. This is from the CEO of Kickstarter himself, the, <laughs> the big boss. And he's saying, you got to bring your own crowd to crowdfund. So don't take our word from it. 
It's the uh, the official statement of Kickstarter, and this is why they've partnered with Jellop. Yep, not us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> not us. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, th- let's talk about email conversion rates because this is something that I think would uh, make a lot of sense. So, um, this uh, my initial experience with this came from uh, the wisdom of a man named James Matthew, who has since passed away. He used to run websites and uh, blogs and other things. He's, you know, was very involved in the tabletop game space. And he had a lot of wisdom on a marketing, you know, early wisdom uh, for crowdfunding uh, on a marketing, the marketing side of things that not a lot of people had. And he estimated three elements of your email list. The, the first situation is if you send an email to people that, you know, if you buy a list from someone else, let's say uh, this would never happen, but if I bought the Stonemeyer games list and sent an email to them about my board game that I had, and it somehow made it past MailChimp's guards, you know, maybe people received my correspondence, then he estimated that 1% or less of those people would actually back your game because they don't know you. You don't have a relationship with them. They're cold and, you know, maybe some of them would click. A lot of them would just look and say, I don't know who that is and, and be done. But if, let's say, you cultivate a list specifically for a project, you will get a, uh, you should rather, in, in this, uh, in James Matthews' uh, writings, he said that you should get a response rate between 10 and 16%. And if you are an established company, that means 10 to 16% of your email list should actually back the project. Then if you're an established company and you already have emails and you know that you've collected maybe from previous projects and you're, you're now bringing them into a new project, something like you know Simon or Modifius or you name it, um, maybe uh, myself when I go back to Kickstarter with another thing, you should expect... Five to eight percent of your email list to back the existing campaign. So five percent conversion rate is not um, unheard of. It just doesn't make sense if you are uh, building an email list for a particular project. Those people will convert at a higher rate because the all the correspondence you've had with them is about that project. So if you're doing what you need to do, what we find is that our actual numbers and our Kickstarter success calculator ranges from ten to 30%. Uh, the highest I've personally calculated was 30.4. Um, my deliverance campaign was 22 or so, or was 21.7%, you know, and, and th- that's, you know, much higher than 10, but we always use 10 as our benchmark uh, because if you're doing things right, you're communicating about that product and you're making people want that product. And I your product gonna... is doing something unique in the space and people are really excited about it then. Yeah, that as long as the rate. offer's decent, and you know, if you if there's if you didn't step on any landmines with you know charging a hundred bucks for shipping on a fifty dollar game, you know what I mean? You you should get a decent conversion rate of ten percent or above, and that, that that's my experience. So I think James Matthews' advice actually proved to be correct. Um, although I would say that if you buy a list, one percent is very generous. That I would expect you not to make that much money. Now, I will. I will say that the way that we do emails, you you build a landing page and you send people there, and you get their email list after getting them interested in the game, and then you give them more information and send monthly emails. You've got your automated welcome newsletter and all the stuff that we do, and what we call the virtuous cycle. If you run Kickstarter, or if, I'm sorry, if you run Facebook form leads, your email conversion rate will be garbage. Don't do that. It's just generally horrible. 
In fact, there's only one campaign we've ever run out of over a hundred that has that that Facebook form thing was even able to compete. And that was because we had this massive customer journey set up. You know, the our client just really, really took it, got really excited and made it's like 160 different emails. That I think even at that, the conversion rate was much lower than our, our system because you did yeah. A-B test it. Yeah. I mean, you could get emails at a better price than we got emails, but ours converted at a higher rate, which was on bots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just clicking so, random stuff on Facebook. Yeah. So that's random emails. Exactly. So those, those stats are really important to kind of keep in your head. If you build, so if you listen to us in regard to how we do what we call the virtuous cycle, which you know, crowdfundingnerds.com slash episode 14. I link it so much. I'm so glad we did that episode. I don't have to tell people all about it. Or you could just Google crowdfunding nerds virtuous cycle and it'll be there. We actually uh, wrote an article on it as well for those that hate listening to podcasts, but you're all listening to this podcast. So just go find episode 14, which is going to be on our website. I think Spotify only takes the last hundred. Don't know why, but, um, but yeah, so that's, super duper helpful. That methodology really, really works. So, um, so that's in re- in relation to the conversion rate, anywhere from five to, or I'm sorry, anywhere from 10 to 30%. But I went with, um, a rate of, of 10%. So kind of going back to as this, an, as an estimate in, in, his, yeah. in your reply. Yeah. So I try not to, you know, give a high, I try to under promise and over deliver. I guess is the is the idea. Um, I think that ten percent is reasonable, even if something goes wrong. And so, you know, that's you know, even if your offer is not perfect, is what I mean. So, uh, yeah. So the backers to fund three hundred and fifty three backers for this particular project at an eighty five dollar average pledge value with a thirty thousand dollar funding goal. Remember, the X factor is Kickstarter trending product or project we love and also organic traffic. And I just estimated that you would bring twenty to forty percent of your total backer pool is going to come from work that you didn't do personally yourself. And that means that my expected minimums for an entire project is going to range. So, okay, let me, let me pause real quick and, and tell you that when a project funds on the first day, when it funds on the first day, we notice, and, and by the way, the, the funding goal is reasonable. You know, you don't have like a company like AEG who has, who, uh, you know, has campaigns all the time and a, and a dedicated audience, those people could list a minis game with a $5,000 funding goal. And they're going to get into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, like on the first day or second day or whatever. That's not a realistic funding goal. I'm talking about a realistic funding goal to actually make the thing if that's all you made. So a realistic funding goal when you fund on the first day, you should generate a minimum of three to five, well, a range in my in my view, of uh, three to five hundred percent of that goal. So, given that thirty percent, or sorry, thirty thousand dollar funding goal, you know, if we fund it on the first day, we should generate between ninety to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in funding. And that means that, um, you know, if we take that and divide it by the average backer or the average pledge, we're going to get between a thousand fifty nine to seventeen hundred sixty five backers for that campaign. The actual email list size required to fund, in my opinion. For a project like this with $30,000 funding goal, if you wanted to be safe, you need 60% of the email size required. I would say you need an email size of about 2,100 people. Um, and I could share my math, but 
Yeah. Yeah. 2,100 people that actually wanted to be there. I, I did that. I had about 2,200 that I earned in three months with Facebook ads uh, leading up to our launch. And I spent $6,000 on that. And those people generated about $59,000 of uh, revenue for me. So, and, and right around 21.7% converted. Yeah. And I had, I had huge campaigns running while mine was running too. And that made me sad panda. Um, that also had like a spiritual warfare theme. The Witcher was, was the game that was running. I was like, dang it. Um, <laughs> it was so, that kind of a Kickstarter glitch, which was a bit weird. That kind oh of yeah. There were, yeah, there were, there were other yeah. things that happened. So if we were to look at the internal goal that they actually had, which I kind of want to talk about as well, the, you know, backers to the, the internal $400,000 goal is simply with an average pledge value. That's $85 instead of 50. We only need 4,700 backers. It's like 4,706, but that's way less than 8,000 just by increasing the average pledge value. That's a huge deal. So if we were to say, okay, 20 to 40% of that's taken, uh, that means you know that, that it, we're kind of reverse engineering now from what we want. We need 4,706 backers that pledged an average value of $85. So what that means is that you know, assuming it all went well and we got 20 to 40% of our backers to organic and whatnot, we would get between 941 to 1,882 backers just organically. And that means that we need to gather the remaining audience, right? 4,700 minus those numbers, you get 2,825 to 3,764. The backer range needs to be somewhere in there that you generated yourself. And so that means the email list size, if were really required for the internal goal without going viral, 28,000 to 37,600. Uh, it's actually slightly different, but you know, so many numbers heard through your ears. It's like, what am I even listening to? So you need to generate those people from your email list, 28,000 emails to 37,640 emails. Now, when you're starting um, off, that sounds like ridiculously big. Who has... Yeah. He has an email size with you know, 30,000 people. And to be honest, if you're five Kickstarters in and you don't have an email system of this size, something's wrong. You know, you, if you're, yeah, if maybe you're doing small projects or, or maybe something. doing small projects, but if, if you if you're somewhat established, you should have an email system, email this, this size by this stage. Yeah. I would, I would say that, you know, if, if you're doing a good job with Kickstarter, then you're going to have people on Kickstarter. And then also you know, let's say you're five projects deep, you should also be selling outside of Kickstarter, you know, with at least four projects or three projects, you you should be developing a, a real audience. If you're serious and want to make it a full-time gig and be a publisher, then over the course of time and number of projects, you're going to get to that 28,000 to 30,000 emails. It's not unreasonable. However, I will say it is very unreasonable if it's your first project. And that's <laughs> kind of why I want to revisit this $400,000 internal goal. And that's euro. Oh, yeah. 400,000 euro. So it's half a million dollars. Right. Okay. So about, about $500,000. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that. Where did that come from? It came from thin air. We made it up. Someone said, I think this game should make this much. And they made it up. So... You know, I you run the gamut of of possibilities of maybe this person really knows what they're talking about, maybe they don't. And I find that when somebody comes to me and says, "Look, this game is gonna win the Spiel de Yars uh, Award, Game of the Year," 
It's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. Everybody needs this game. And I expect it to make a minimum of a million dollars. I, I don't discount them yet. What I ask them is, okay, what is, you know, what size email list do you have? What your previous projects been and that sort of thing. And if they tell me none, then I immediately think they're a crackpot. <laughs> <laughs> there is such a thing uh, to be careful of. Hubris. Hubris is probably the right word. Would you agree, Sean? Probably full to full. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think that in some cases, people that just decide their project is the best thing ever really need to take a step back and let the market tell them if they're correct. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, you made a hypothesis that 400,000 euro is how much money you're going to make. And uh, you need to prove that thing. And I think that the problem with somebody coming and saying to, to a marketer like my, like you and me that, Hey, my goal is 400,000. And if you don't make that $400,000 goal, I'm going to be mad. That is a project that we don't, we don't usually like to take stuff like that on if they have nothing. If they're like, all right, I'm going to rely entirely on you for, to gather me an email list of uh, 30,000 in uh, two months, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, give it a year, a year. I have unlimited money and a year, but I'm going to be very upset if you don't make that $400,000 goal. That's usually something that I consider very high risk because we can't guarantee results. Yeah, we, we really can't. Like we, if I knew what happened after the, after the button was pressed after the launch button, then I would, I would be able to guarantee all sorts of stuff. You know, we have to be reasonable as you know, and, and you have to almost take a, you can't be like, I expect the game, you know, it, it, at, at worst it's going to do this, but no way it's going to do the worst. It's going to do great. And that's your standard. That is a recipe for disaster because you know, I mean, we, we, we've done podcasts, which we should link another one in the show notes called four and a half possible outcomes of your Kickstarter campaign or your crowdfunding, um, because it's not just on Kickstarter anymore that you could fail. You could barely succeed and you could catastrophically succeed. And there are numbers in between, or there are options in between. So I just think that you need to be prepared for all outcomes, but if your only option is you know, and you're going to cast off tell your marketer. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you absolutely need your marketer to just buy into this idea and tell you that your product is the absolute best in sliced bread. If they're going to actually get your business, I don't think that is a recipe for success. And I don't think your marketer should be um, stroking your ego in order to maintain your business. So, yeah, well, I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to stroke your ego. I might be really excited about your game. I might back it myself because I think it's really cool but I'm not going to be the one telling you this is going to make at least a million dollars. If you have no email list, if you have no data to back that up, you know, I, I believe that the market should prove what games are successful and you need to control everything you can. And then things you can't control. I, a word I've used several times in this podcast is virality. You shouldn't try. Right. And uh, that's, that's a big um, element of this whole thing. But what do you think about that, Sean? I mean, I, I know you've heard before where it's like, Somebody says, oh, I need to make this much money or it's a failure. And you're like, oh. I think people make the faulty assumption, I've got a great product. And you might have a great product, but it might not sell well because the reality is great products sometimes don't sell well. There's a lot of other factors that go into why people buy. A lot of it's to do with trust. You know, if, if you're just a first-time creator and this looks maybe too good to be true, mm -hmm. it might be too good to be true. I'm not going to back this. So mm -hmm. a lot of it's based on trust. And this is why brands are so powerful. And if you tap into 
a, a big brand that people trust and know, then you know it's much easier to sell and make make sales than if you don't do that. If you're just completely relying on your own brand, a brand new IP that nobody knows, it's far more challenging to get that off the ground than if you were tapping into something that was already established. So keep that in mind that it's, it's good to have aspirations, but don't choke on your aspirations. That's a, a quote from Rogue One, Darth Vader choking the guy who was very motivated to crush the rebellion, but didn't. I would say with Deliverance, um, that would be absolutely true. If I gave Deliverance, uh, there were people that wanted to publish and you know, that were all more successful than me, that all had bigger projects because I'd never published before. And I decided not to publish specifically because I wanted to be in control of the product and the theme. And I, I just felt like the integrity of the product really was at stake. If I let a publisher have it, I wouldn't be the thing that I envisioned. And that was very important to me. So I made the choice to self-publish and people really liked the game. But I feel like, you know, we, we had 2,717 backers. We've raised about, I mean, 314,000 during Kickstarter, but another 186,000 since then, just over 186,000. So, uh, you know, including the shipping and whatnot, which is about 140,000 <clears> of that 186 or 180. I guess it's 130,000. You know, that was pretty good. Like really good for a first time project. A lot of people are like, oh my goodness, how did you do that for a first timer? But I'll tell you what, if Simon took the very same game and published it, it would be well over a million dollars. And I, that's that's what I think anyway. If I could do it as a very first time creator, you know, you've got Dave Beck with Distilled. Amazing game. He made got $559,000 and over 8,000 backers for his first time. Um, Oros, you know, a lot of other really cool first time games that we've, that we've, uh, first time publishers we worked with that have done really, really well. Oros made almost 300, $300,000, like $293,000 with about 5,000 backers. Isofarian Guard, not a first timer, I guess, but that was a really big one. And I promise you, you know, if AEG ran distilled, they would have made more than 600K, way more. You know, that's just kind of the way that it is. And, and you, you know, you're, you're building, and you need to recognize that it is that it, you're winning trust and you're proving that you can deliver and you're proving that you can make a game that's fun that people want to play. If people love the first game, if people love the experience that they had with you as a, as a developer, you know, there are people that tell me, hey, based on the way that you're communicating, I communicate every at the last day of every month, you always get an update ever since the, the, finish, the finishing of our Kickstarter campaign. I have every single month on the last day without missing one time updated everybody and I've never held anything back even if it was bad news and people like that. And so I believe that I've earned more trust from backers to come back again. And then, you know, when the game is great and people love it, they're going to want the sequel and maybe they're going to trust me more for the other games that, that we make and in the future. But I think that that's something that has to be earned. Mm -hmm. something, something that takes time that you can't, you can't buy. And we've seen this, you've seen, you know, big corporations lately, buy IPs that have massive fan bases and a lot of history and come in and just wreck them because yep. they're just trying to make money off the back of something without actually understanding the fan base and the culture and the people. Or maybe they do, but they just want to re-envision re it and they're completely destroyed in the process. But whatever it is, yeah. the, it shows you the power of a brand, the power of a community. In my opinion, one of the most important things is getting a publisher to buy into your vision, I think is like part of the recipe for success. Um, or, you know, of course, you buying into the publisher's vision for what it is that you have, um, because oftentimes they are just 
you know, more educated than you. So, um, so going, kind of going back to this, so that was our tirade about the $400,000 goal. It could be legit. It might not be, but let's kind of go with it. Let's assume that, you know, all the numbers I shared before, we're going to, we're going to say the Kickstarter infusion of backers that is required. So our total backer count to reach $400,000 at an $85 average pledge value is 4,706 backers. Let's just say that Kickstarter generates 30% of that amount or, you know, organic and all of that. That means that the remaining audience that you need to hit the internal secret goal of 400,000 euros is, well, I guess I'm using dollars, so we'll just stick with that, Um, 3,294 backers. That's what you need required via email or other internal methods like your community, um, other maybe social goals, things that you do. That means that you need 32,940 people on your email list or social communities or whatever that would. Uh, so let's, let's talk about like, let's reverse engineer this at a 10% conversion rate on your landing page. That means that you need 329,400 visitors to that page at a 2% click through rate, which was given by our friend Kevin in his original outreach, which I think is decent. 16,470,000 impressions. This is not unreasonable. However, I do think it is very aggressive for a first-time campaign. You can, I mean, marketing is a black hole that you can throw an unlimited amount of money. I promise you, if you put 500 bucks a day into Facebook, Facebook will find a way to take your money. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't make sense to, to leave money on the table when you're willing to spend it, right? And so, you know, I would, I would kind of caution, you, you know, anybody that is, is considering this. And then in the, in the end, if the product is great, I think you should focus on what you can control. Do the absolute best you can in regard to marketing and design and, and making a good offer and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, don't put an artificial goal. Uh, just let the project stand on its own merit. Um, and, you know, if a client's unreasonable, then it just, I mean, we've severed relationships. We've allowed clients to leave us uh, for such reasons because we felt like, you know, before the campaign even launches, it was not a reasonable uh, request, you know. Um, and some we've been able to talk off the cliff, and right. you know, they've been they've been able <laughs> to any, but... listen to our counsel and say, okay, well, I'll adjust my expectation, and so there's that yeah. as well. So th- you quoted that he needs 16 million impressions. Is that am I correct? If I'm reading your email correctly? Yes. So okay, assuming so that two percent of the people that click through, uh, or that see the ad click through, that means mm-hmm. that you need 16. 0.47 million impressions which, to get 10% conversion rate. If, we, if we assume a, a $5 CPM, which is pretty good, they'll need to spend 82,000 on advertising with a five, okay. $5 CPM. So it's quite a, quite a big ad budget. <laughs> yeah. And now there are companies that spend, you know, like I, I know, you know, one, one, um, one company that is, uh, I would say, newer, but not their first campaign. I, I don't want to out them or anything. Their marketing budget was eighty thousand dollars for Facebook ads, and mm. and other similar similar ads. Um, they they spent it over four months, and um, they had a really great conclusion. Maybe not as high as they hoped, but I feel like it does help if you have lots of money. You can throw it. At, I mean, you can make a million dollars if you just spent two million in in marketing dollars. <laughs> you know, it's just. It's possible. The problem is we want to be profitable. And so I think that putting all your eggs in the basket of 
Facebook ads or, or, or marketing in, in general, you really need to also build. But then one mm-hmm. other element that I think is really important to consider is that, I mean, I think that a good product doesn't make a hundred percent of its revenue from Kickstarter. You know, I mean, I, I, for deliverance, for example, we're printing 5,000 units. We sold roughly 3,200, you know, as a result of Kickstarter, a little bit uh, more now that, you know, through the pledge manager phase and whatnot, but I expect to sell all 5,000 units. And then I expect to use the rest of the units that I sell to um, develop enough money to reprint and sell another 5,000 units. And that's something that is kind of like the lifeblood of my company. It, it all depends on if I'm able to sell more games, you know, that I've made, it allows me to make more games that I, that I, you know, have a vision for. So I think that it's a good idea to kind of plan for growth and also just be willing to adjust your expectations on the fly and adjust your tactics on the fly. If something's not working really, really well, don't just spend more money on it, be willing to change your tactics. And I personally think that, you know, it's kind of a little, a little bit of a sacrifice on your own part, but you need to be the face of your company. I think that people support other people. And I think you need to make your company about, about that as much as the products that you sell, because you are a brand. And I think that people buy into you before they actually buy into your game. That's kind of the way I feel. And so when we make it about only the game, you know, it's, it is, people will decide if they like the game or not. But if you make it about more than that, then there are more things that people can latch onto and say, I like this. That's why, you know, I mean, as at the most basic level, we mess around in Facebook communities and contribute and talk and that kind of thing. And then when you ask for something from a community like that, people know you and they're much more likely to support you for that mm-hmm. reason. And so I think that it's very important that you would be a known commodity or a known human uh, when it comes to selling stuff. There, there are others that, you know, maybe have developed what I would consider a highly notorious reputation, somebody that you would, uh, it's like playing Russian roulette. Um, if you support this person or not, maybe you'll get the game, maybe you won't. And I think that the reputation of Uh, an individual behind a company is it really is the most valuable thing that you're trading in. You know, your reputation is your most valuable commodity. So I guess your ability to work is your most valuable uh, asset, but then reputation matters. And now it's time for nerd news. So one thing that I want to go back to is this article by Everett Taylor and he says that this quarter, so Q1 of 2023, has been the best year in terms of crowdfunding revenue for Kickstarter in their entire history. So that's pretty newsworthy. <laughs> that's pretty yeah. groundbreaking. And um, he also says uh, within this article, if, I, if I'm just going to like s- summarize, that they have no plans of picking up the blockchain stuff, that they are focusing on making Kickstarter as a platform on Web 2.0 as best as they can. They're not really thinking of 3.0. In the immediate future, but that being said, they're, they're not—they're also not shooting down the idea completely. I just think they have no plans in the near future of reviving that idea. That's actually really cool. I think that um, Everett Taylor is doing a lot of really good stuff at Kickstarter. Never interviewed him. It'd be fun. It'd be fun to interview him. You probably would. Uh, maybe we're too small for him. I'm not sure. But um, I think that 
he is definitely making a lot of positive strides. People, if people aren't asking for it, you shouldn't be doing it, right? And so I think it's mm-hmm. the right move. This might be newsworthy. I I came across a documentary done by the BBC, I think in the early noughties, and it was very interesting because it traced the developments of modern advertising, and it goes into Renee's, which we've discussed on the podcast before. So the founder of the um, he wrote uh, he basically wrote the book on propaganda and he created the public relations department uh, mm-hmm. which is what propaganda used to be called until it, the name became spoiled so he renamed it as a good propagandist would and this documentary is good because it, it shows the the change in advertising i suppose philosophy how in the early 1900s the emphasis was very much on durability and reliability and uh, feature focused on products because people were buying for their needs, but because of mass production, people's needs started being met very easily, and it moved from need to greed. It went from need to want. So the marketing messaging changed from focusing on the mind and like the rational reason why you should buy this because of its durability and its features, so on and so forth, more towards psychological and emotional reasons of sort of insinuating things and um uh, so this is this is where you start seeing uh product placement within movies and this is Renee's did this mm-hmm. uh, you see other tactics of trying to connect products with political movements um so in a sense trying to connect your product with something that's virtuous which we, we see happening quite often with, with products these days so it's a very interesting documentary of the transition of because of industry and mass production of how the marketing messaging transitioned and I think it's just it's interesting to keep in mind uh, when you're promoting your own games, not so, not so that you can use some psychological trickery, but just so that you're you're aware of the history. And I, I think it just makes you it might make you more aware of your own marketing messaging uh, by c- contemplating the history of advertising itself. Yeah. And uh, while while you were while you were sharing that, I went and it was time for me to back BattleTech Mercenaries. I, <laughs> I dude, there is a four inch Mad Cat. Uh, I believe that it's also called a Timberwolf. It's the one with the long range missiles on the left and the right that fires like the, you know, the, um, I mean, from this was a video game one stage, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it used to be called mech warrior and then they changed it to battle tech or they, you know, maybe they continued it. Uh, and so now they, <laughs> this battle tech mercenaries, um, mech warrior two mercenaries was my fave, but they have this, uh, Timberwolf slash mad cat four inch tall mini and i am so excited about this i played battletech once in my life and i thought it was really fun and also that no way anyone in my family would. i played this i had a demo of this when i was a kid dude it was it was it's pretty fun but i'll tell you what a four inch tall version of my favorite dude that is newsworthy to me and uh so if you hear this podcast two years from now then um, it's probably not available. Too bad. I'm getting it now. $274 average pledge. $274. And yeah. by the way, so um, that's basically training to be one of the top. Yep. As at the time of this recording, it's still day one. They made two and a half million dollars with 9,200 backers. Uh, this is viral. Like, I don't think that they mm-hmm. could control all of the success here, but it will say that their average pledge is extremely high. Uh, kind of like you were talking about with the, uh, the highest campaigns, which we'll go over. I'm sure this will probably be included um, by the time this ends. It wouldn't surprise me if it was at between. Six yeah, and what's only trending more. trending that way? Mm-hmm. And, and that's one thing that I noticed with these um, most of these largest campaigns, 
they came out of already existing IPs that were established elsewhere outside of Kickstarter. Yep. So that could be like obviously with Marvel Zombie Side, you're kind of combining two there. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's that's one near the top, and there's you know there's other ones that are large IPs that brought to the platform. So like, this is an example. So I think this is going to trend one of the mm-hmm. the highest ranking because it's just how much it's raised so far. And it's like what's nearly yep. ten thousand backers already day one. It's pretty insane. Yeah. This is yeah. going to get a project we love, and then that's another thing. All all the the top twelve campaigns all had project we love. Mm-hmm. So that's Kickstarter should love money. They really should. Their, <laughs> their job is to make money. Um, I'll also say one other thing that's worth worth sharing is uh, there's a website called tabletopanalytics.com. Um, some of you may have heard of this. Some of you may not. Tabletopanalytics.com. Um, if you were to create an account and log in, so right now you can see games that are trending and and you know archives and whatnot. But you log in, you know, create an account, log in. You'll on the left hand side, you'll be able to see top grossing games of you know that are live popular games which is actually uh what happened like this day so right now battletech mercenaries is you know really really exploding but the most popular game that has been back to the most today is called shadow dark rpg and uh you know they're ending soon there are newest you know games listed and i actually find this to be a much better interface than browsing kickstarter for information um, also the creator of this, um, actually runs Vesuvius media and, uh, the hive interactive, we, which will be probably bringing them on to, to interview. They have so much information. It's, it's incredible. So very worthwhile to visit the site and just kind of scroll through I'll, I'll, we can include a link in the show notes, but very, very cool. They've got top grossing creators of all time. They've got, uh, most popular creators, most active creators you know, top grossing games in the archives of all time. You can filter by the amount uh, uh, raised. You can filter by the category of, you know, it's a tabletop RPG, an accessory, uh, something else ended campaigns that ended by year. So um, very, very cool. So I think it has uh, RCS integration with notifications. So I'm going to plug that into my RCS catcher. Yeah. <laughs> and follow along. Yep. Oh yeah. The, the game that ran at the same time during my, uh, during my campaign that I was talking about is the seventh most popular board game, uh, the Witcher. Yeah. Uh, Since we're all out of time, we'll have robot Richard send us on out. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds for more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.